We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 90 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today, breaking down the Gamecocks series loss in Gainesville to Florida, a gut-wrenching series loss as South Carolina moves to 4-11 and in SEC play. Also, talk some Frank Martin news as rumors resurfaced over the past week of him possibly leaving. Since then, confirming he will be staying in Columbia, South Carolina, turning down the Cincinnati job. We'll break that down in its entirety. Also, a very, very special interview with former Gamecock and current Arizona Diamondback Christian Walker as he breaks down his USC career, relationship with Ray Tanner, his clutch hits over South Carolina's historic national championship run, also his grind in minor league baseball, and what it took for him to get to the major league level. All that and more. This podcast is presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. You guys have heard me talk about them a bunch. The only ticket buying app I use. Please be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP to get $10 off your first purchase. So no matter what you're going to, if you need tickets to anything, whether it be maybe NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs are in full swing, obviously all South Carolina Gamecocks events as the Gamecocks have a bunch of home events coming up. If you need tickets to concerts, comedy club events, doesn't even have to be sports. Be sure to use our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, the best ticket buying app by far. They actually rate the tickets based on the ticket rating system so you know exactly what you're getting, you know exactly what you're paying before you scoop up those tickets. So, again, go download SeatGeek. Use that promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back. Episode 90 of the Spurs Up Show. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. The first of our series, uh, two podcasts per week. Very, very excited. Obviously, Monday and Thursday are going to be the release dates for those. Two podcasts per week, two guests per week. Very, very pumped. This is the first one. And obviously, as you probably heard in the intro, have a very massive, massive guest for this one in Christian Walker. Um, I first want to apologize. You can probably hear my voice is basically gone. Um, I was in Augusta, the Augusta, Georgia area over the past week or so for Masters Week, and I'm not sure if the pollen got to me or what it is, but my voice is basically gone. I've been stuffed up every single morning. Um, so I, I'm struggling through it, but I'm getting through it for you guys. So apologize for the, uh, for the raspy voice, but here we are. Um, the show must go, must go on, right? Um, first off, hope everyone had a great week. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Obviously, it was uh, 
a great golf weekend as Tiger Woods reclaims the Masters. I just finished watching up the Masters, so a fantastic tournament in Augusta, Georgia um, for Tiger Woods, a special moment. I mean, what a moment for Tiger Woods, his comeback. Um, you know, remember what, I remember specifically watching him win in 2005 and really thinking, <clears throat> you know, early – really just a year or two ago thinking I really thought he should have retired and probably hung it up and didn't think he would ever even win an event again, much less uh, a major again. So great, great stuff for Tiger. I mean, if you love sports, if you love comeback stories, I don't think anybody can, uh, can dislike the story as a whole in general, just awesome stuff to watch Tiger win the masters. But overall, let's get into the Gamecocks, obviously South Carolina. Um, we'll start with South Carolina baseball, you know, dropping two of three to Florida and Gainesville, a an absolute gut-wrenching series loss if you're a South Carolina fan. South Carolina literally, you know, came down to – it went exactly how every one of the other series basically has went. You lose the first game, win the second. It comes down to a rubber match on Sunday. South Carolina, you know, with a great opportunity to win Sunday, you're going into the final inning. You're up, up by one run, um, you know, and South Carolina just not able to hang on. Wesley Sweat giving up a three-run walk-off homer. Uh, the Gators win the series two to one, and South Carolina drops to four and eleven now in SEC play. Um, obviously, a very very rough start. Not where people imagine this team would be. Certainly not where I imagine this team would be. Really, what does it all mean? Um, you know, overall, just start with the series in general. Some takeaways from it. You know, I thought. Listen, I was very very ecstatic. They moved Reed Morgan to the first game, the Friday night role, if you will. But the game was played on Thursday. But I think most of South Carolina fans were very, very happy to see that. You know, you really felt like you went into um, went into the first game with a real, true chance to win. That's not a knock on any of the other guys that South Carolina has thrown out there this year. But just simply put, it felt good to be throwing your best guy against their best guy. And for the first couple of innings, you know, it was that pitcher's duel, that pitcher's battle that we expected. But the wheels, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know what happened to Reed Morgan because he was so good the first two innings. The wheels simply fell apart on him in the third inning. I think Florida at one point had four straight hits, three of them on the first pitch. They may have extended to five straight hits, not sure. But they scored six runs in that third inning to take the lead and really never looked back winning that game one, nine to five. You know, just a really uncharacteristic start from Reed Morgan. I think it's something that, you know, if you're a South Carolina fan, I don't think you should be too, too concerned about. Um, obviously, Reed Morgan's a guy that's shown you this year what he's capable of and the kind of pitcher he is. I will say – the one thing about Reed Morgan that I guess, you know, does concern me is he is a guy that does not have the velocity to miss up in the zone. So when that breaking ball starts getting up, when that fastball especially is up, you know, when he's elevated, he is not very difficult to hit because he just doesn't have that blow it by you velocity, if you will. Um, and again, not something I'm concerned about. Again, Reed Morgan has shown time and time again this season why he deserved to be the Gamecocks ace. And I really, really hope they keep him <clears throat> in that game one role because. Again, he's proven it to you time and time again. He is your best guy. But uh, just a very uncharacteristic start from him, obviously. And South Carolina's offense really could never put anything together against Tommy Mace, a guy that threw very, very well. Um, you know, overall, you go win Saturday, lose Sunday again on the walk-off home run. I mean, the biggest thing, I don't know what we really learned about this team. I mean, I think, you know, I picked – I didn't do the Daily Crow last week, but I would have picked Florida to win two of three. You know, until South Carolina proves they can win a series, I'm probably going to – pick the opposition to win two of three every single time. But, I mean, I'm not really sure what we really learned about this team that we didn't already know. I mean, you look at this overall series this weekend. The one game South Carolina won, they hit four home runs in the game offensively, won that one six to three. The two losses, two, the two South Carolina losses on Thursday and Saturday, they hit a combined one home run. 
this is a team that, you know, is really piecing it together on the mound. You know, outside of Reed Morgan and really Brett Carey and I guess Cam Tringali now, really just piecing it together, really don't even have defined roles in my opinion. And offensively, it is a feast or famine type offense. If the home run is there, great. You're going to score a lot of runs. If it's not, they're going to struggle. I mean, I tweeted this out, I believe it was Friday, that this is a really fun team to watch when South Carolina's hitting home runs. And it is. It's a fun team. It's a fun offense. I mean, when South Carolina's hitting it all over the yard, which they've done very well, I mean, I think what, they're, what, tied third in the country or something like that last time I looked. Um, you know, when they've been able to hit it all over the yard, they have a lot of success. But the unfortunate part is against elite SEC-level pitching, which we've obviously all seen with South Carolina now being 4-11, and 11, you can't depend on the home run every single game. And South Carolina has just shown a complete lack of ability to manufacture runs in any sort of way. Um, so I don't think what we saw from this weekend is very surprising. I mean, overall, what does it mean? Listen, I, I think, you know, I said after the Auburn series that gun to head South Carolina was not making the postseason. Um, I definitely said after Alabama, South Carolina is not making the postseason. I think now as a South Carolina fan, you know, I hate to say it, trust me, of all people, I really hate to say it, but it is time to start looking ahead to just simply try to pull positives for 2020. I mean, this team's not going to the postseason. There's not even a chance. You look at the remaining schedule, South Carolina has five SEC series left. You host Texas A&M for three games, which we'll break down later in the week on the, uh, the other episode of the Spurs Up show this week. You go to Missouri, host Vanderbilt, host Kentucky at Mississippi State. I mean – I think you can pretty much chalk up Mississippi State and Vanderbilt as series losses at this point. Hopefully you can scoop one of those games in each of those series. Kentucky and Missouri are your best chances at winning series. And Texas A&M is a coin flip, which I'd say is probably a series loss. I say a coin flip because it's at Founders Park. But, I mean, overall, listen, this is a team that's not going to the postseason. 4-11 and 11 right now. They have to go on one of the stupidest runs you've ever seen to make any type of realistic run at the postseason. I just simply don't see it happening. Um, it's unfortunate. I think injuries have certainly taken this toll, their toll for this South Carolina team. But overall, I just, you know, there's some issues on this team. I don't know whether internally, you know, listen, the bottom line really to me is, and it's saying it in the nicest way, and listen, I, I tweeted after the game um, sort of frustrated, but I kind of confirmed my thought. This is not a good baseball team. Uh, this this is not a very good baseball team. That is just the honest truth, the simple honest truth. I think as far as the pitching staff is concerned, coming in without Logan Chapman, you know, uh, Graham Lawson, losing Carmen Majinski in the Clemson series, um, all the injuries you've had, Hayden Lehman, uh, Rich Chapman, those guys. It's been a huge blow, man. And I, like I said, I, the hitting is fully to blame. I feel like I'm a broken record right now saying the same thing I said after last week. But – Losing those guys in the pitching staff, I think, has almost set the tone for this season to get away as it has. Because I think everyone can confirm. I think if South Carolina just had Carmen Majinski, I think this this season may have a different tone to it. I certainly don't think South Carolina hasn't won an SEC SEC series yet if they've got Carmen Majinski on the bump on Friday nights. But overall, listen, I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan, I know it sucks to hear. It, it, it definitely sucks. I hate it because I, I've been one – Everybody knows that I've kind of carried the torch for South Carolina. Should have been ranked in the preseason. I said it two years in a row. And, unfortunately, this is just one of those years, I think, where this is not South Carolina's year. Now, the thing I will say that, you know, I don't want to pile on them, trust me, but how bad is this team? I mean, I think this may be the worst South Carolina baseball team since, what, the mid-'90s? I mean, since before Ray Tanner got to South Carolina. 
Um, I mean, this is a team that you look you look at the overall record now, 21 and 15, 4 and 11. I mean, there's a chance this team doesn't get to doesn't get to 30 wins. And, and I mean, that's you know, again, I'm not trying to pile on them or anything like that, but I mean, simply put, looking at this team you have right now, you're fielding, there's a chance this team does not get to 30 wins. So, you know, one of the things I will say, taken away from the series that really blew my mind, you know, not speaking from the South Carolina side of things, is really how bad Florida is. I mean, because it really felt like two teams that are on the bottom of the SEC, and that's certainly not something I expected to say about the Florida Gators in 2019 I definitely thought they'd be a team chasing Omaha definitely considered for Omaha but obviously they have their own problems as they sit six and nine in the SEC not much better than South Carolina 24 and 14 six and nine in the SEC but you know realistically what can South Carolina you know achieve this year I mean I had some people asking me will they even make the SEC tournament in Hoover and I mean that's a great question because right now I really don't know I mean I'm not sure you know, kind of looking at the injuries, you really they really haven't kept us up to date as far as Hayden Lehman, Rich Chapman, Carmen Majinski, like when those guys might possibly come back. And, I mean, I don't see anything in South Carolina's lineup that, you know, is going to change significantly anytime soon. That This lineup is just going to completely flip a switch and be, you know, be this lineup that, you know, is going to produce runs and, you know, hit 300 as a team. Like, I just don't see that happening. And I, I'm not sure, again – what the disconnect is because South Carolina has talented hitters. At least they have talented home run hitters. But there's something going on with this South Carolina lineup. I mean, take it for example, again, not to pick on one guy, but, man, Noah Campbell. I mean, he is a complete shell of what we all thought he'd be. I mean, a preseason um, preseason All-American in one, you know, one poll, I guess you'd say, um, preseason All-SEC in another. I mean, this is a guy that we talked about being a possible All-American, and he has been – I don't have his, you know, actual stats pulled up here. I can pull them up, but he has been brutally bad. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. I mean, Quentin Perez has been a better option than Noah Campbell has. You take a look overall at Noah Campbell's stats, hitting 237, 237, slugging 378, 314 on-base percentage, 314, six for 11 in stolen bases, not even that great. I mean, South Carolina's lineup, you know, they have one guy right now hitting over 300. T.J. Hopkins hitting 302. I mean, and it's hard to believe because, what, this team was 17-3 and three or 14 – yeah, 17-3 and three after non-conference play. Every, you know, you had half the lineup hitting over 300, and now South Carolina finds itself hitting 241 as a team after this weekend. 241 as a team with a team ERA of 464. Just not going to get it done, man. Just not going to get it done if you're South Carolina. And, again – I just, you know, I just think it's maybe right now as a South Carolina fan, you have to step back and say, these are the cards you're dealt for this season. It hasn't gone your way. This isn't your year. You know, let's win as many as we can. Let's get some guys some experience and let's move on to 2020. Because I just, I don't see, I don't see anything coming out of this season that, you know, is going to be positive. I mean, you're you're not going to make the postseason. You know, realistically, you're not going to win the SEC tournament in Hoover. You're not good enough. You don't have the pitching. you know, and it is a shame. You hope guys like a Reed Morgan, uh, you hope a guy like a Reed Morgan will be able to come back next year. Um, obviously, he's a guy that's eligible for the draft, but could certainly help you next year on next year's team, especially with guys returning from injury, returning from Tommy John. Talked about Logan Chapman and Graham Lawson. I think this could be a really, really good team in 2020. And, you know, listen, South Carolina did lose 10 guys in the draft last year, but as Ray Tanner said, you know, you lose players, you know, players change, expectations do not. And so for South Carolina, obviously – 
to be four and eleven in SEC play and be in the in the position they are in, it's a tough pill to swallow for Gamecock fans. Um, I'll move to the one positive of the weekend. Certainly, I would say Cam Tringali on Friday thought he was exceptional. Um, definitely think he earned another start in that role overall. Six plus innings pitched, four hits, one run, one earned, three strikeouts, no walks, which is the big stat. Only threw seventy five pitches. Was very very efficient. I thought he really commanded the zone, really attacked the Florida hitters. Um, and again, did a really, really, really good job for South Carolina. Um, I don't know. You, you take a look at the series. I mean, I, again, maybe I again say you question, I don't know, some of the decisions with the pitching staff. I mean, it's Brett Carey went two and a third on, on Friday. Did get you, he got you the win, though, or not, he didn't actually get the win, but he was able to close the door for you to get South Carolina the one win of the series. It's, I guess it's just a shame that you're not able to use him back to back days. Obviously, he threw 53 pitches on a, on Friday, so bringing him back Saturday was basically impossible, unrealistic, if you will. But, um, you know, South Carolina's just scrambling right now. They're scrambling definitely when it comes to the pitching side of things, and they're not getting enough from their offense to carry what is a very, very wounded pitching staff. So, overall, you know, South Carolina with a big midweek game, which will be, if you're listening to this today or if you're listening to this on Monday, will be tomorrow in Charlotte against the North Carolina Tar Heels, which – South Carolina, again, I know they beat NC State, but it has been a complete house of horrors, especially against UNC. UNC has just absolutely had South Carolina's number in Charlotte. Um, yeah, so, I mean, overall, this team, I mean, it's – I mean, I don't know. I, words just can't even – I mean, I was sitting there watching the game on Saturday, and this is the type of year it's been for South Carolina baseball. I was watching that game, sitting there thinking to myself, what can go wrong? Like, what is about to go wrong? You know, I, it, it just – it feels like everything that can go wrong for this South Carolina team this year is going wrong. And I don't know, again, what that, you know, what's to blame for that specifically, because I know every South Carolina fan, including myself, thought after the Clemson series, you win two of three and you win the third game in dominating fashion. This is going to be a huge season for South Carolina. But I think we really, again, we really underestimated the losses in the pitching staff and overestimated this South Carolina lineup, you know, based on what they did against non-conference pitching. I think that's really, you know, really what happened because there are tons of holes in the South Carolina lineup. And unfortunately, again, this is a team that loves to hit home runs and they're a fun team when they do hit home runs. And, you know, maybe, maybe there will be a weekend where South Carolina can get hot for all three games to hit home runs in all three games. But, you know, when you live and die by the home run, you know, I had somebody tell me, a former South Carolina baseball player, when you live and die by the home run, if you have a day where you don't hit home runs, you better be able to pitch. And South Carolina's team this year, when they have not been able to hit home runs, they don't have the pitching to hold off a good, you know, even an average offense in the SEC. So, overall, again, South Carolina dropping to 4-11 four, four in SEC play. You know, last thing I'll say is, unfortunately, South Carolina fans, again, it's tough to hear, but I just don't see it getting any better. I really don't see this season getting any better. I mean, I think, again, South Carolina, realistically, if I was looking at it right now, they would be, you know, I think you'd be lucky to beat both Missouri and Kentucky and then lose the other ones. I mean, I think if, if, you, if, if you're a South Carolina fan, if you win any more than those two series, you're coming out of this 2019 season pretty happy. If you can pull an upset in one of your series you have left. But overall, I mean, South Carolina – is just simply overmatched against Texas A&M, against Vanderbilt, against Mississippi State. South Carolina is just simply overmatched. And I think that is the, you know, that's the sad reality right now of South Carolina baseball. I mean, it is what it is, but the only way it's going to get fixed is getting guys back from injury and recruiting. And, I, again, it's it's not what South Carolina fans want to hear, I know, but overall just just a very, 
very tough time right now to be a Gamecock baseball fan. Um, let's move to some basketball news and notes, obviously, because this is something I want to touch on. Obviously, Frank Martin rumors resurfaced a couple of days ago as the Cincinnati job came a-calling. Obviously, there was multiple, multiple reports that he was very, very interested in the job, was a former assistant there. Um, those rumors really came and died within 24 to 48 hours, as Frank Martin confirmed via reports that he's very happy at South Carolina, likes his bosses, likes being at South Carolina, is not going to leave. So, overall, another report come and gone. Uh, Twitter obviously handled it very, very well, as you obviously imagine. Nobody overreacted or freaked out. Really what kind of blew my mind was, you know, and what continues to blow my mind, I guess, is the overall just South Carolina fan mindset on the basketball program and really the athletics program as a whole. Because, listen, I'm glad Frank Martin is coming back. I think it's a huge positive for South Carolina. I think he's got a good team coming back next year a team that could be very, very good and make a run at the NCAA tournament. And obviously, again, going through a coaching search is not a fun thing for a fan or a school or anybody. Like, it's the uncertainty is not fun to go through. So, no, I was not hoping he'd take the Cincinnati job, you know. But, but I thought that the one thing that I think needs to stop, and I don't think because I'm saying it on this podcast that it will, but I th- I, the one thing that I wish would stop is – a report comes out, Frank Martin is considering going to the Cincinnati job. You know, that, that report comes out. I don't understand why that feels to some people as an opportunity to attack other South Carolina fans for their support or lack thereof or feelings towards Frank Martin and the basketball program. I, I just – I don't understand why that seems like a good opportunity for people to try to do that because I simply said it uh, on social media last week. I mean – People, you do realize if Frank Martin leaves, it's on his own decision, his own merit. Nobody is pushing him out the door. He is not getting fired. This is him making a decision for his future. It really, it's all on him. And listen, you know, I don't want to really have the entire conversation just because I feel like it can drag on and on and on. But I'll just simply say this, you know, could things be better within the basketball program as far as marketing, as far as, uh, fan support, things of that nature, yes. But, again, I've said it before. I think you're walking a very fine line, and I think you're kind of crossing the line. When you go as far as to demonize the fan base, for the, the South Carolina fan base that has been as loyal as it has through everything, through all the ups and downs, through all of the BS, the bad hires, the, the great runs followed up by disappointment, I mean, this is a fan base that really, you know, is hungry for a winner. And in really any sport, that's the crazy thing, in any sport. So I just think going after the fans, using it as an opportunity to say, you know, I hope the people that don't like Frank Martin or don't support, you know, hopefully, I hope he leaves and you get what you deserve. I mean, listen, I don't like to give attention to stupid people or really just downright negative people because I don't like that. Don't like that kind of energy in my life, to be honest with you. But I mean, I just don't understand why people think that's when a report like that comes out, that it's, it is an invitation for them to use that as a platform to push how they feel and try to attack other people and how they feel. It is, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Cause like I said, I think his return is a huge positive for Carolina. Again, I think he's got a very, very good team coming back next year. And listen, I've been critical of Frank Martin. I mean, I'm a guy that the thing that kills me as well as people really just putting down the University of South Carolina and Ray Tanner. And, you know, listen, if Frank Martin decided to leave, that's his decision. But 
do you really feel that poorly about the powers that be that they couldn't go find another quality basketball coach? You think there's not a single basketball coach that wouldn't want to come to South Carolina with the SEC money and the, you know, the, the, the money South Carolina could pay and, you know, they've got pretty solid facilities. I mean, I, I just, maybe, listen, I'm not a college basketball guru, you know, expert, if you will. I don't know the head coaches that are available, but I mean, to to act like that South Carolina couldn't go out and scoop a quality coach is just it's kind of a slap in the face to South Carolina. And I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan, like why are you putting down South Carolina in that type of way? Like you truly don't believe that your school could go get a, a quality head coach? I mean, it's just I don't know. It, the the Frank Martin dynamic is very very strange because it's like it's it's a very extreme thing because I feel like there's this section of the world or South Carolina fans that like you either you either are 110% in his corner and you love him and he can do absolutely no wrong or people think and if you don't if you're not in that corner it's just assumed that you are a complete idiot and you hate him and you blah 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 whatever you don't deserve Frank Martin like listen I you know plenty of people have chirped me our good buddy Braden Webb has chirped me but I mean What's wrong with giving the guy a little bit of criticism, man? I mean, to, for me to say that if he doesn't make the postseason next year, there's a chance he's fired is not like some revelation or something crazy. Like, that. that's not an outlandish statement. I mean, miss the postseason three years in a row completely, and you're fired at most jobs. Like, that's not like a, a surprising thing. So I, I don't know. The Frank Martin, anytime there's – and I hated it because anytime there's any Frank Martin news – the crazies come out on Twitter, man, and on social media in general. It is insane. Like, you know, I'm not trying to call anybody crazy specifically listening to this podcast, but you know who these people are. They come out of the deepest, darkest pits of Twitter and just go off for whatever reason. It's just, it makes no sense to me. But overall, I mean, I'm very glad he's coming back. I really think that, uh, you know, his return is a big positive for South Carolina. You know, I think South Carolina's got, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, my voice again. I think South Carolina has got a pretty solid team coming back and a team they can really work with and, you know, possibly win some big games next year and possibly make a run at the NCAA tournament. That's honestly one of the reasons, which again, I'm not going to get in the conversation totally right here, but that's another one of my reasons that if South Carolina doesn't make the postseason next year in any type of way, I'm talking about missing it all. Like there needs to be some serious conversation looked internally and maybe move on from Frank Martin. I mean, I don't think that's an unrealistic thing. So overall, again, like I said, I, I hate when the Frank Martin stuff comes up because stuff just gets so out of hand and people really – people cannot talk rationally about Frank Martin. It's, it's the weirdest thing because Carolina fans are so quick to pull the trigger on every other coach. I mean, literally you got people saying fire Mark Kingston. He's in year two. But if you say one – I think what it is is that people are two things. One, the scar tissue from Darren Horn has not healed because that hire was so bad and went so poorly. And two, I think people, that memory and the experience of the Final Four left such a lasting impact on some people that they cannot look past it. They, they just, they can't let it go, which I'm not saying like forget it ever happened and not be happy about it. But I mean, that was two years ago and it will be three years ago next season. So, you know, just some food for thought. But overall, again, glad that Frank Martin is coming back to South Carolina. Um, all right, let's get into some listener questions. It's going to be a shorter show today, obviously. I have a very, very good interview coming up. But let's get into some listener questions. Got some good ones. Jacob underscore wise three. 
if we were to change Yurk to wide receiver, who would be the fourth wide receiver? I mean, I think right now, you know, your, your wide receivers would be Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, Josh Van, Ortre Smith. I don't, maybe not in that specific order. And that's assuming Ortre Smith is healthy. You know, I think if Jay Yurick, if he's changed full time to wide receiver, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to play a ton or even at all. Um, because listen, Jay Yurick's obviously an athlete, but is he really a better receiver than, you know, Chandler Terrell or, really any of the freshmen or anybody on the roster that has been playing wide receiver? Like, is he is he really a better receiver than all the guys that have been playing wide receiver? I mean, again, I don't know. I think maybe some of the smaller games you're going to see him if he does move to wide receiver and maybe, you know, getting some touches. But, I mean, overall, I don't know what his role specifically is going to be. And, you know, I don't know. That's a good question, but I don't think he cracks the top five. We'll put it that way. Um, underscore Nathan Carter, underscore zero four zero. What is your thoughts on the Gamecocks versus Alabama of the 2019 football season? Um, this is one I feel like gets asked every single week. I mean, overall, again, it's a tough game for South Carolina. I mean, Gamecocks will probably come in the game, if I had to guess, a 23-and-a-half-point underdog, I'd have to imagine. So, you know, I, I, I'm not expecting a lot from it. I think a 42-21 to 21 type loss would be a good game for South Carolina. I mean, I know South Carolina fans hate to hear that, but I still think that Alabama simply is just on a different level than everybody else. I think, I think the beatdown they took by Clemson really made people forget just how great of a year they had last year and how good Tua was for Bama. For Bama. So, listen, I, I you know, we're going to get more into football season as we move throughout the year, but, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I really like – I really like South Carolina's defense coming into 2019. You would hope and pray that Jake Bentley can take his next step. But, I mean, overall, I, you know, it'll be, it'll, it will be a three-score game. I think Bama will beat South Carolina. Um, Suleiman.Ahmed, can you get in an in-depth review of the basketball team next season? Um, we'll get more in-depth as we get closer to basketball season. But, again, like I said, I think overall – Frank Martin returning is huge. I think South Carolina's got a good core of guys coming back. You know, I I think obviously the biggest question for South Carolina is going to be how do you replace Chris Silva? Um, Because right now I don't think many people think Mike Kotsar is going to all of a sudden step up and be this guy that he hasn't been the first couple years he's been on campus. So that will be the biggest question mark to me. But I do think there are pieces on this South Carolina team, this South Carolina basketball team that are very – that South Carolina fans should be very excited about, especially, you know, you have Justin Manaya returning, A.J. Lawson, Keyshawn Bryant, Alonzo Frank. You know, you go on and on and on, guys that made big-time contributions for South Carolina. So I, I definitely think there's a lot to be excited about, but how far will they get, you know, that's kind of waiting to be determined. I, I think they can make a run at the NCAA tourney, though. Um, Judd Rupp, linebacker and running back, why do they seem difficult for us to recruit to lately? Um that's a great question. I mean, you know, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think as far as running back is concerned, I think the last few running back classes have been kind of kind of thin, if you will. Um, I think South Carolina is making good strides in both, though, honestly, as we move forward. I know they're, 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 they're attracting a lot of top running backs for the next couple of classes upcoming. But, you know, overall, I don't understand. I think they just had some misses at the positions, honestly. I mean, I think – you know, after Rico Dowdle's freshman year, I don't think anybody would be asking this question. You know, I don't think anybody thought they'd be asking this question. You bring in a, a transfer like Tyson Williams simply didn't pan out. Um, a guy like Mon Denson just kind of is what he is. A guy like A.J. Turner kind of just is what he is. And we don't know about the true freshman that got on campus. You know, Deshaun Fenwick, the verdict's kind of still out on that as well. So, I mean, 
you know, I think that uh, there have just been some misses at those positions in linebacker for South Carolina. I mean, you know, some guys I think they were counting on. Obviously, injuries hurt that position, but guys they were counting, counting on last year, Sherrod Green, uh, Danny Fennell. You know, Fennell got hurt, but Sherrod Green wasn't very good last year. Losing Sky Moore certainly hurt. I mean, I think T.J. Brunson set up for a big-time year, all-SEC-type year in 2019. But I, I just think that – I think there have been some misses in recruiting, and I think uh, – you know, injuries as well have hurt that position, both at linebacker and running back. You think about the guys that have gone down with injuries. That's certainly affected them. Um, J.K. Gill, 34. Screw the NCAA tournament. Will baseball make it to Hoover? That is a fantastic question. Um, right now, I'm going to say yes. I, I think they will. I think the way South Carolina's baseball season will finish up, I think they'll beat Missouri, beat Kentucky. I still think they're a better team than Kentucky is. I think Kentucky's really, really bad. Um, but I think South Carolina will make it to Hoover. But I can say, man, if South Carolina, if the skid really continues, I mean, if it continues, you know, really the way it's going, if they miss out on Hoover, I mean, again, not to pile on them, but, I mean, this will be the worst USC baseball season in at least 20 years. I mean, there's no question about it. And it's, you know, again, it's a shame after the way that it started. But, you know, I'll say right now that South Carolina – will make it to Hoover, but I mean, overall, I think making the postseason, because I, I, you know, it's funny, I see some people talking on social media, and I'm like, man, you guys, I mean, there's no chance, I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's no chance South Carolina baseball makes it to a regional, anything beyond that, obviously, um, but I do think they'll make it back to Hoover, so overall, yep, yeah, pretty, uh, like I said, pretty short show, obviously, my voice, need to save my voice, I don't know what happened um, while I was in Augusta, I, I don't know if the pollen or what got me, but overall, um, hopefully back to full strength for Thursday's show, but have a fantastic, I mean, fantastic interview um, with former Gamecocks first baseman and current Arizona Diamondback Christian Walker. Kind of, break, again, going into depth, all of the great USC highlights you remember with Christian Walker. His college career was phenomenal, if you forget. He played from 2010 to 2012, um, two-time national championship, went to, the, went to the national championship three years in a row. I mean, I don't know many guys that have had a college career like that. Um, break down, obviously, all his big hits at USC. Talk about Ray Tanner. Getting to the major leagues as well. Obviously, he's off to a very hot start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, very excited for that interview. It's all brought to you, again, by our friends over at SeatGeek. And SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. If you need tickets to anything, whether it be NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, um, any South Carolina Gamecocks events, obviously South Carolina home this weekend against Texas A&M. If you need your tickets to that, um, concerts, comedy club events, doesn't have to be sports. Be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I said earlier, they actually have a ticket rating system that tells you exactly what you're getting. So it has a red meter or red meter or green meter to let you know, hey, is this a good deal or a bad deal so you know exactly what you're buying before you click the buy button. It's really that simple. Again, they're the only ticket buying app by using the best ticket buying app by far. So, again, that is SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to get $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks first baseman Christian Walker. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 to 2012, a mainstay for the Gamecocks, a two-time national champion, was drafted in 2012 by the Baltimore Orioles in the fourth round, is currently with the Arizona Diamondbacks, off to a hot start in 2019, getting his chance at the MLB level. I know a lot of Gamecock fans are happy to see that. I want to welcome to the show Christian Walker. Christian, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. So let's kind of jump right into it. Let's go back to, you know, your high school career. You were a very highly sought after high school baseball player from Limerick, Pennsylvania, went to Kennedy Kenrick High School. Um, just kind of talk about sort of your recruiting process and what led you to South Carolina, you know, being a kid from Pennsylvania. Yeah, growing up in the Northeast, um, you know, there's there's some baseball competition up there, but, um, you know, something about the South always uh, appealed to me. You know, I felt like every year in Supers and in Omaha, I was watching teams from, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Um, I was always partial to the East Coast, but it was mostly Southern teams that I was seeing down there. So at a young age, in my mind, it was always uh, the goal was to go down South to play baseball. And um, a part of that was, was getting in front of the right coaches and the right eyes and, and getting seen. And um, growing up, I played for a travel team called All-Star Baseball Academy, who who did a great job of putting us in front of the right people. And, um, you know, with the weather, the weather up North, once it starts getting cold in the fall, all the tournaments end up being in the South. Uh, so I guess that's how I ended up um, getting in front of, you know, South Carolina. It was, uh, I guess, Monty Lee and, and Mark Calvi at the time, um, you know, getting recruited and all that. So that's how I ended up getting in front of the, the, the Gamecock eyes. But, um, yeah, something about me always wanted to, get, to go down south to play baseball. Absolutely. So obviously, you know, you played for a legendary head coach and Ray Tanner, and I know you were, you know, that was always a really good relationship with you guys. And, you know, we've had a lot of different guys on our show that have talked about their relationships with Ray Tanner. And it's very interesting to kind of hear from the different eras, sort of, I guess, how his coaching style changed a little bit. We all know he's a very tough coach and really gets the best out of his players. But um, how much did the relationship with Ray Tanner, you know, go into your decision to go to South Carolina and talk about kind of that relationship you have with him? Yeah. Um, so back um, back when, when I was trying to make the decision to commit to South Carolina, um, you know, honestly, it was, it was a pretty quick process. I, I thought it was going to, you know, take a while and drag on just, just wanting to check out all the schools and <clears throat> um, just, just really get educated before making my decision. But when it came down to it, uh, I had a couple conversations with, with Coach Tanner and, and the staff at, at South Carolina and something just felt right. Um, so, I, I mean, I committed and, um, never, never looked in the rear view and was so excited to get to South Carolina and got there. And, and as a freshman really wanted to start and play and, um, you know, realized pretty quickly that, that nothing was going to be given to us. And, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to get, get at bats and you wanted to earn playing time, it was going to be exactly that you had to earn it. And, um, you know, there was, there was no easy way uh, through coach Tanner and he, he really laid the line down uh, pretty early with us. And, um, you know, I think it's exactly what I needed as a player, as a as a as a young man, trying to mature, trying to grow up, trying to figure out who I am on and off the field. Uh, having somebody like that uh, around us every day was was crucial for me. No doubt. So play, you definitely did. Uh, 2010, you know, you were a freshman All-American selection by Baseball America, really a mainstay in the Gamecocks lineup just as a freshman. Um, had a really successful year. What would you say you attribute to? making such a quick quick transition because I know you know for some guys it really just kind of depends some guys don't make that transition nearly as flawlessly um what do you think clicked for you going from high school baseball to you know big time SEC college baseball and obviously winning the national championship um to be honest I, I think it's a combination of things I, I think um uh I think one I was I was ex I was really 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 excited to to, to get to get to campus and start playing and, and start the next the next chapter of, of my baseball career and, um, you know, every day, just, just loving the people I was surrounded by the, the atmosphere, the, the, the baseball side of it, the workouts every day was, 
was just so much fun and, and such a, an enjoyable experience day to day. Um, you know, you look forward to showing up to the field and, and working out with your teammates. And, um, you know, you look forward so much to weekend series and, and Friday night games and, and things like that. that um, you know, I, I kind of just uh, – I didn't expect it, but mentally I, I wanted to plan on playing every day. So for me it was, it was showing up to the park, taking care of my business, and, and just wanting to fit in. Uh, you know, with the everyday guys and, and, and show that, that I could contribute to that team uh, early in my, in my college career. No doubt. And again, that freshman season, you hit 327, nine homers, 51 RBIs. Obviously one of the, I guess, probably most replayed games and replayed at bats of your South Carolina career was the 2010 uh, Super Regionals against Coastal Carolina. You hit the, basically the go-ahead home run for South Carolina. My question is this, because most guys I've talked to, your, your uh, former teammates, they say that ball still hasn't landed yet, and I would agree with them. But I haven't been able to watch every single at-bat you've had in the minors, obviously in the majors as well. But have you ever pimped a home run harder than you pimped that one? <laughs> um, in terms of bat flip, that was, that was probably the most. And um, To be honest, I think that was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And um, <laughs> In the moment, it was just pure reaction. It was, it was just something that happened, um, you know, call it call it the situation or, or, or the stage or whatever it was. But um, I look back and I mean, a part of me doesn't even remember running the bases there. That was, that was just, uh, that was an amazing, amazing time. For sure. So it's funny, you know, Christian, you take a look at your career and I mean, I'm sure you, you've, you're playing right now with and have played with a ton of guys that played at a bunch of successful schools had a ton of success, obviously in their college career. But I mean, I was taking a look at just, not just your statistics, but the teams you were on. I mean, 2010, 2011, 2012, I'm not sure there are many college baseball players that you've run into or that anyone's run into that can say they went to three straight national titles and won two of them. I mean, when you look back on your college career, um, you know, what do you take away from it specifically? Because, again, the amount of success that South Carolina had when you were there was, you know, really just unprecedented. Yeah, for me, it was um, it was a mentality. You know, I came in my freshman year and um, – was immediately surrounded by guys like, like Whit Merrifield and, and Jackie Bradley and uh, Blake Cooper and these guys who, who all they wanted to be was, was the best every single day. They showed up every day. They wanted to be the best on the field, the best player on their team, the best teammate in the clubhouse, the best player in the country. So, so pretty early on, I was, I was surrounded by this, this, this need and this want for greatness. And um, when, I say, when I say like it was just expected – Every day, not in a cocky way, not, not we're expecting to win, but, but we kind of are. We're, we're gonna, we, we expect to show up and, and, and play the way we know how to play and lay it on a team and, and move on to the next team. And, and for those three years, that's honestly how it felt. It was Omaha felt like it was just the norm for us. It was, you know, you, you show up, you win a game, you, you go to regionals, you win it, you go to supers, you win it. And, um, you know, nothing, it, it almost felt like nothing else would have been, um, you know, would have done. No doubt. So that freshman season as well, 2010, you guys faced the Clemson Tigers, beat those guys twice, similar to 2002. I know you're a guy from Pennsylvania, and it's talked about with South Carolina that a lot of the out-of-state guys, it, you know, maybe they don't realize when they come in, obviously, the severity of the rivalry, just how intense it is. But when did it click for you? Because you had a lot of success against Clemson really throughout your career. But when did it click for you like, hey, this is not just any other game. This is, this is really serious. Uh, for me, it was um... – <clears throat> It was the first time, the first Clemson series uh, in 2010. Um, I think specifically, probably the game at home 
um, when, when it was like, it felt like there was six or seven deep standing room only. Um, you know, that, that stadium I think holds in the low, in the low 8,000s. And I think we were pushing 9,000 that game in terms of attendance. Um, just a different energy, a different buzz in the air. Uh, the players feed off of that. The fans feed off of that. For me, that was, I knew, I knew it was, it was going to be higher stakes baseball, but, uh, when I walked out there, you know, that, that first, uh, that first home game against Clemson, that was, uh, that was pretty amazing for me. No doubt. So 2011, 2012, you, you know, you stayed very, very consistent throughout your career. Career 336 hitter, had 30 homers, 168 RBIs, but nine homers your freshman year, 10 your sophomore, 11 your junior year. Let's jump to that sophomore season because uh, that was also another epic. You guys are going for your second straight national championship. When you go into the 2011 season, you sort of talked about what the expectations were, kind of what you expect of each other. I mean, was it a no-brainer coming back in 2011? Like, hey, we're trying to repeat. We're, you know, we just closed out Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt. Let's open up TD Ameritrade. Let's go win another one. Yeah, absolutely. The, the team that we had, um, I mean, even, even during the 2010 run, it was, you know, after the loss to Oklahoma, it, it, nothing changed for us. It was, okay, you know, who we got tomorrow? Arizona State. All right, they're number one in the country. So what? We showed up and, and, you know, we laid it on them pretty good. And, and, and that, was, that was a big confidence booster for us just to, you know, it doesn't matter what, what happened the day before or, or whatever, or, you know, whatever the record shows. It, it, you know, we know who we are as a team, as players, showing up every day. And, you know, a huge part of that is, is, is what Coach Tanner and, and, and the staff, um, you, know, you know, put in our head every day and, and, and groomed us to, to believe in ourselves and, and, and truly – truly go out and, and want to play for one another. So, so sewing up for the 2011 season, I mean, I remember early in the year, we were already talking about Omaha and going back and repeating, not in a cocky way, but those were just the expectations. You know, nothing else was going was gonna to do for us. And, and that season was, was amazing for us. I felt like that was, that was one of the best teams uh, I, have, I have ever played on in any, any level of baseball. For sure. So 2011, again, a very good year for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. You were named second team All-SEC, College World Series All-Tournament team. But I think the thing that South Carolina fans still talk about to this day is what people didn't realize, you played that entire College World Series championship series with a broken handmade bone in your left wrist and still were – you were very good. Um, I, I guess, first off, how much did the broken handmade bone limit you? Because obviously when you're playing around with those small bones in your wrist, your hand, I mean, it's very tough, especially obviously you swinging the bat, playing first base. But – uh, how tough did it make it on you to play that series just in general? And I mean, did you ever even, did it even cross your mind that, Hey, I might have to sit this one out or was it sort of like, I'm going to have to be bleeding to death to miss the college world series finals. Um, so first and foremost, I have to give all the credit to the, the South Carolina medical staff. Um, it, it was just from top to bottom. Brainerd helped me out so much and they ended up flying some doctors out. Uh, so we had a couple days in between in between the the semifinals and the the championship series, and uh, those those days were were pretty stressful and emotional, trying to figure out if I was going to play and getting X-rays and and treatment and all that stuff. So once we realized the handmade bone was broken, uh, we, we we took a day off to try to let some swelling go down, and then we had a team workout. Um, it was it was at the team workout where I had a brace on, I had it taped up, and. I knew it wasn't going to be a hundred percent, but I, I thought maybe if I could just baby it a little bit and, um, you know, just, just the idea of being in the lineup, maybe I could, uh, I don't know, like maybe protect some guys in the lineup and, um, 
you know, we, we just had a, a great thing going and I, I didn't want to miss that. I, we spent all year on the field, you know, with, with your, with your brothers, the guys you're grinding with all season to get to the, the last three games of the season and someone's telling you, you're not going to be able to play. So, so for me, that was a, a pretty emotional few days. I remember, uh, I remember I went out on the field, um, during batting practice and this would have been the first swing since breaking my bone, breaking the, the, the hamate bone. Um, against Virginia and one swing in the batting practice round uh, the bat flew out of my hand I think I, I think I missed the baseball uh, one swing done the, the pain was um, excruciating and I, I just walked back into the dugout and kind of just dropped my head and, and that was the moment when I when I really thought I wasn't going to be able to play and, um, I remember Adrian Morales coming coming up to me in the dugout and uh, basically grabbing me by the shirt and telling me that I'm playing in this series and, uh, you know, for me, that was, that was the big momentum swing. I didn't think there was going to be any way I was going to play. When Adrian looked me in the eyes and, and told me that I was going to play and I was going to be a part of this team, basically talked me into it. Um, not, that, not that I didn't want to play or anything like that, but, but where I was mentally, it was just, I thought this was it. This, there's no way I can play. And, um, you know, that's, that's just a credit to the team that we had at the time and, and the kind of guys like Adrian around, um, you know, keeping the younger guys in check and, and leading by example and um you know just from top to bottom it was it was a whole team effort and um so the medical staff gave me a few days of treatment and um ended up coming out and you know it was pretty painful and it, it wasn't you know definitely wasn't 100 percent, but um you know i could play and, and that's all i needed was just a little bit of uh, a little bit of momentum a little bit of um you know light at the end of the tunnel and um you know i was i was so happy to be able to go out and play with my team and 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 be a part of what what was going on yeah and all you did was go four for nine uh in that championship series so obviously a huge part of that uh that championship series how much different you know obviously the team was different you know your team was different the team you were playing was different but you know how much different was the first national championship from the second national championship and was it any less or more sweet each time um No, you know, that's, that's hard to say. It's hard to rank them. Obviously, the first one was amazing. Um, Rosenblatt was great. The energy there was amazing. Um, in terms of winning it, which one meant more? I think 2011 was so much fun. I felt like we were hands down the best team in the country. Nobody in the country could touch us. And I felt like that's the vibe that we put out there on the field. We'd show up. We'd beat a team, we'd move on. We'd show up, we'd beat a team, we'd move on. And that was, I think that was in the middle of that, uh, that, that postseason, the, the postseason consecutive wins, mm-hmm. um, that, that record there. That, and then it was, it was, you know, we knew that record was going on and we still would show up every day knowing that nobody could beat us. There's nothing you can do. Here's the team we got. And I felt like that was, that was translating for us out on the field. And so for me, that was a lot of fun to, to, to play baseball with kind of that, that cocky swagger attitude and um you know it was it was it was a lot of fun yeah no I'll ask you simply have you ever played in a baseball game crazier than game one against Florida <laughs> no I actually lived with Evan Marzilli uh this past spring training he's, he's still a really good friend of mine um and and we uh we actually we had another roommate with us a third a third player and, and we were we were constantly he was always asking questions about the national championships and playing in college and all this stuff. And 
Um, that's one game that actually, I mean, that, that whole series was, was kind of crazy or both of those games, but that the game one was, was just amazing. And, and I mean, that's, that was the, the, the craziest two or three innings of baseball I've ever been a part of, regardless of what side I was on. Um, but, but the bases loaded, no outs. And I mean, all that from Jake Williams throwing the guy out at home. Um, I mean, looking back, I feel like you can't help but smile and laugh at what was going on. It was, it was just an amazing, an amazing thing. Absolutely. So again, you guys win the 2011 College World Series, your second straight national championship. I want to go back to Carolina Clemson because it was funny when we were kind of hyping up Carolina Clemson this year, um, I, I sort of found up and brought kind of one of your, uh, a video that you were in at least. It was you and Ray Tanner. Uh, I forget if it, I believe it was 2011, but the, you know, the whole bat heating thing. And then obviously you were there in 2012. You guys beat them, I believe is in the, what was it, the super regionals or the regionals to advance. Um, but you guys had a ton of success against them. It was very heated and very bitter. And I thought your comments were kind of, it was just sort of funny because you, you know, Ray Tanner talked about it, it really rubbed the team the wrong way. It really pissed you guys off. I mean, when you look at the Carolina Clemson, you know, series or rivalry as a whole, especially when you were there, um, what do you take away from it? Because I, I know it was very, very heated and very bitter against you guys, which I mean, you expect from the best rivalry in college baseball. Yeah, for sure. And baseball is such a hard, grueling sport like and just just you know like literally it's hard to hit a baseball so so for for the team you're going out against and um you know you're putting your heart and soul on the field every day your blood sweat and tears are, are out there every single day the the practices the two a days the you know the the weight room hours the study hall hours everything it all adds up and that's why you do it for a series like that and then for them to say it's because we were heating our bats or or something like that you know it's it's just frustrating to 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 know why you're beating a team and and them try to take that credit away from you and, and say it's because you're heating your bats or because of something else. You know, it's it was um it was just the idea of it that, that we felt like we went out and earned those victories and somebody was trying to take that away from us. Yeah, I have to imagine from watching, uh, you know, because Ray Tanner got fired up when he was asked that question about it. I have to imagine behind closed doors, he was very, uh, had a pretty, had some pretty epic words for you guys. I know he said in that press conference, he didn't bring it up, but I'd have to imagine there was, I I'm sure you guys used it as motivation. That's all. That's, that's what I'll say. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. He, um, he did a pretty good job of, of filtering, um, you know, the, the nonsense and then, giving us little nuggets of info for motivation. And, um, you know, I remember through that whole thing, he, he kept us in the right place mentally. And um, I guess you could say that he, you know, he dealt with the, with the BS and let us go out and handle business on the field. For sure. No, it, so it's so funny because kind of going backwards, but just talking about Ray Tanner, you know, I've talked with different people about 2010 and they, they've mentioned how Ray Tanner, I mean, I look at him, he's like almost like a baseball god. Like, he would say things were going to happen and they would happen. For example, I forget who it was, if it was Roth or Scott Wingo or whoever. But basically said Ray Tanner in 2010 said, all right, Jackie's going to get on here. Christian's going to come up. He's going to hit a two-run homer, whatever. And, you know, it's obviously talked about a lot how Ray Tanner would, you know, take a timeout, pull his hitter to the side and say, hey, I mean, why don't you just go hit a home run here? And more often than not, his guy would do it. I mean – did did he have a lot of conversations with you like that? Did you ever notice that happening? Because, I mean, I, you know, we've heard all the stories about it, and uh, it's just kind of crazy, you know, how, how Ray Tanner could coach that way. Yeah, yeah, he, he's done that a few times on a few different occasions that, that we still talk about today. Um, 
there was there was the coastal one obviously he said something to the effect of uh Jackie or Adrian's gonna walk Jackie's gonna hit a double um I remember him telling Adrian like you just got to get on just get on base start the inning get on base get on for Jackie Jackie's gonna do something good get Walker up to the plate and I mean that's that's exactly how it happened and then I remember the following year against UConn uh going late into the game it was a it was a close game um he, I was leading off the inning he pulled me aside I said what are you thinking right here and you know I, I can't remember I had given him maybe a little bit of a scouting report from what I've seen off of the guy pitching and he said no he said, he's gonna he's gonna start you with a first pitch change up I want you to sit on it and hit this ball out to left field <laughs> so I mean uh, I'm like, yeah, I mean, no way this guy throws me a first pitch changeup right here, but okay, if you say so, coach. And I went up there and sold out the first pitch changeup, and, and sure enough, first pitch changeup, hanger, hit a home run to left field. And get back to the dugout, and he's just standing on the top step smiling. Like so many times, think little things like that, almost to the point where it got under your skin. You're like, how, how the hell does this guy know this stuff? And, I mean, it's, it's like you said, I, I consider him, you know, one of the best college coaches ever. And for me, that just just spending that much time around him, um, you know, every day and in, in those years, and even now we we still keep in contact. Um, you know, I still I still truly believe that. No doubt. So going into 2012, obviously, again, I talked about how just kind of how crazy this the level of success your college career as far as really team success. I mean, you guys are going into 2012. I mean, I, you talked about obviously 2011, but I have to imagine going in 2012, you guys are like we're never. You almost feel like you're just never going to lose again. I mean, the way you guys were rolling. 2012 had another great season. You personally had a great season. Golden Spikes Award watch list, first team All-SEC. College World Series All-Tournament team again. Um, and I actually didn't know this till just now, but you tied Dustin Ackley of North Carolina for a College World Series record 28 hits in a career. So, I mean, that's definitely something you can carry with you to this day. But overall, obviously, you guys get to the end, face Arizona, are unable to win it. You know, even after winning two national championships, getting that far in a season and losing, I know is tough. But how tough was it, you know, for you after you guys, you know, you see Arizona celebrating on the field and thinking, you know, more than likely for you, obviously, you know, because you were already drafted in the fourth round by Baltimore, knowing that's the end of your college career. Yeah, that that was more of, um, you know, what was on the line for us. Uh, obviously, we wanted to win, and it would have been amazing to free Pete, and we expected nothing less. But when it got down to it, um, and, and you know, and game two ended, and um, you know, we, we had lost and they had won the national championship. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't any regret about, um, oh, I wish we would have done this or, man, we should have won these games. It was it was sort of just trying to enjoy the last few moments on the field with with my college teammates. Um, you know, the guys I had, I had lived with and, and and grinded with the last three years. And, um, you know, that, it was about it was just about enjoying those last few moments. That was, you know, as soon as the game was over that was it. We weren't thinking about the game anymore. It was, it was more so, okay, this is it. Like, you know, we did it. We went on a crazy run. It, it's been amazing. Um, you know, absolutely no regrets. Uh, it was, it was just trying to really uh, embrace and, and take in those, those last few moments on the field with, with your teammates. No doubt. So this is probably a silly question, but do you think that the record you talked about the postseason wins record you guys have consecutive postseason wins? Uh, I don't have the exact number pulled up here, but I know it's something ridiculous. Do you think that'll ever even come close to being broken? Because personally, I don't think so. Uh, no, and, and of all the records in in college, I'm pretty sure um, that's that's the one 
I'm most proud of um, and, and talking to Mars, it seems like that's the way he was too. It's that we feel like nobody will ever touch that for the timing. I mean, one for the timing to match up, you know, to lose the first game in Omaha and then go on a run and then another undefeated run through the playoffs and then a third, you know, run. It, it was just, just the logistics of the timing for that to work out is pretty unlikely. And then for a team to get back to Omaha three years in a row is also pretty unlikely. And then to make it to the championship series three years in a row is, is also pretty unlikely. So just for all the things to add up for that to happen again, doesn't, doesn't quite seem, um, you know, obviously it's possible, but it doesn't, doesn't seem likely. And, and, you know, that's something we're really proud of as a team to, to earn all those wins in, in the postseason and, um, you know, high stakes baseball, those, those are the games that count. So, so for us that, uh, that was, you know, that's for me, that's, that's probably my most uh, prideful record of, of college. Yeah, so it's 2010 by or 2010, 22 consecutive NCAA tournament wins, and you guys also have the most consecutive wins uh, in the College World Series with 12. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't see a scenario where that's ever going to be broken. You never know, but I, I don't think it'll even come close. You talked about your teammates. Obviously, you play with a lot of, I mean, just names that people are going to know from South Carolina baseball. And, and, and you know, you talk about about a lot. I know this is a big thing at the MLB level, which we're going to get to in just a second. Kind of the dynamic and the chemistry of the locker room. As far as you, Christian, you know, at least in college, were you more so the jokester, the serious guy, kind of a mix of both? I mean, what type of dynamic did you have in the in the in the locker room for South Carolina? Uh, I would say I'm I'm a bit of a mix of both. Um, off the field, I'm very sarcastic. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot of talk a lot of crap to my buddies, just messing around. Um, and then once once the game starts, I would say I'm I'm pretty serious. Probably one of the more serious more serious players um you know it's just just the way I feel like I perform my best if I can you know I'll still make jokes in the dugout and all that but between the lines I, I try to uh you know I, I try to just handle business and um but yeah I would say uh I'm a good I'm a I'm a pretty pretty decent mix of both nice so one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about because it's it's funny it's something that I always noticed at least in your South Carolina career I know you've kind of switched between DH and first base and stuff like that. Obviously, you're a great hitter, so a lot of DH for you. But um, in South Carolina, one thing I always noticed with you is that you almost had like a signature ball flip. Like when South when South Carolina make a good play defensively, you'd kind of like almost do the Jordan back to the mound. Is that something that you like kind of made your own? Was that something you just did kind of out of habit? Or I mean, because you know a lot of different first basemen do a lot of different things and we throw it behind their back. Maybe they just toss it. They don't really have any swag with it or anything. But you were definitely a guy where it was just like kind of like that kind of like that exclamation point when South Carolina make a big play defensively. Yeah. And to be honest, I think, um, I think that started probably around the first Carolina Clemson series. Um, you know, just pure emotion, a big inning getting turned into double play or something like that. And, um, you know, just being jacked up and, and flipping the ball back to the mound or, or, you know, like slamming it down on the mound, running back across the field. Exactly. Just, just an exclamation point. Um, you know, not, not necessarily trying to rub it in, but, um, you know, big outs, high intensity, high, high situations, things like that. Um, you know, it's just something that just kind of started happening. Uh, it was never really planned out. I would say I'd compare it to like a, a maybe a pimp job on a home run or something like that. Just, just letting the situation dictate it. And, um, you know, that's like I said about me being serious, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a very intense player. I really want to win. Um, so, so anything, anything like that to, you know, try to, try to, keep the team going or, or give us a little momentum or 
you know, feel a little bit more cocky, I, I'm all, I'm all for it. No doubt. So I was just taking a look at your statistics. Again, obviously you're getting your chance this year in the MLB with the Arizona Diamondbacks off to a very hot start. But before that, you know, you really bounced around, spent a lot of time in the minors. I, I was able to add it up. You had 134 home runs in seven years in the minor leagues, including I think one year you had 32 homers at AAA. So, I mean, crazy power stats with you. Is it obviously you're blessed with God given ability as far as power is concerned, but I mean, have you just, are you, do you go up to the plate looking to hit a home run every single time? Is it more so just kind of the product of, you know, your swing or kind of like what is your approach at the plate that you think leads to those power numbers? Yeah. So I've always, I've always been a hitter. I've always been able to hit the baseball hard. Uh, I haven't always been a power hitter. Um, you know, I, I hit some homers in college, but nine, 10 and 11 home runs. Um, you know, there was definitely a lot of guys hitting more home runs than me in college. Um, but I could always hit the ball hard. I always hit a lot of doubles. Um, you know, and I was always, you know, three, four, five, somewhere in the lineup, um, you know, in a, in a run producing spot in the lineup. So the hitting and the hand-eye coordination and, you know, whatever you want to call it, the bat speed was always there. I could always hit balls hard. Uh, I got to pro ball and um, didn't necessarily struggle, but I didn't put out the season at the end of the year. I wasn't, you know, happy or necessarily proud of the season that I put together. So, um I guess it was about 2015 season. Um, I got with a hitting guy named John Walton, who is from Pennsylvania, uh, a guy I basically grew up in the same baseball circles as him, um, you know, in Pennsylvania. And um, he reached out. He has a hitting academy uh, in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, which was right down the street from my house. And basically just offered, hey, I got a, got a facility here. If you're looking for a place to hit in the off season, uh, would love for you to come by, blah, blah, blah. So went up there and me and him got to talking and um, he had been following the last few years and watching a lot of video and, and just had some, had some suggestions and some ideas offensively. Uh, and, and I was, you know, as, as a hitter, uh, I'm always looking for an edge. I'm always looking for an angle and always looking for some information. So, so for me, I was, I was interested in what he had to say and a lot of it made, made a lot of sense. So we started, um, you know, I guess a, a swing overhaul, if you will. Um, from from approach to we basically started from the ground up and and left no stone stone unturned um so for me it was there was a, a big swing change made in in between 2015 and 2016 uh and so so i think what what's going on right now is is just the back end of a lot of hard work and a lot of um a lot of just self-assessment trying to trying to be brutally honest with myself and and trying to take my game to the next level and and uh to answer your question about do I try to hit a home run every time? No, definitely not. Honestly, if I had to pick a blanket approach for myself, I would say I'm trying to hit a double in the right center gap every single at bat. Um, you know, now with my swing and my body type, that, that keeps me in, in, in some positions to hit the ball out of the park. And, you know, if I recognize a hanging curveball, I'm still in a position to get it in the air. And luckily, I'm, you know, I'm a stronger, uh, compact body type. So I can, I can generate some energy and, and, and stay behind the baseball pretty well. So, so for me, I'm trying to go opposite field gap, but uh, you know, that's just, that's just how, how it translates for me sometimes. For sure. No, I definitely say that is why you are the hitter that you are. Um, obviously, you know, 2012, again, you're drafting the fourth round. I mean, which is a very high draft selection. We're looking now it's 2019. Obviously, again, you talked about sort of the swing changes you went through and, 
but you know, it's seven years later from that point and you spend a lot of time. I know you bounced back and forth a couple of times, but spend a lot of times at the minor league level. You know, again, I know a lot of South Carolina fans are wondering when is Christian Walker sort of going to get his shot at the big league level. Um, I mean, did you ever think when you got drafted in 2012 that it would take this long necessarily? Because again, I know, I know that it's a huge transition going from, um, college baseball to professional baseball, going from aluminum bats to wood bats, all the changes that come with it, the level of pitching you're facing. But, I mean, did you ever expect that it would take this long and that you'd kind of go through the minor league grind that you went through? Um, no, 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 definitely not. Um, I think I heard where when I got drafted, uh, I heard a few things like the average player spends, whatever, four to six seasons in the minor leagues. And mentally I was – you know, you think you know who you are as a player and you're young and all that. So, you know, I thought it would take me, I didn't think it would take me that long to get and stick. And I learned pretty quickly that the competition, competition in in professional baseball is pretty serious. And, um, you know, it is a business too. And um, especially after debuting in 2014, I I debuted with Baltimore after my second full season. Um, You know, I thought that was it. I thought I was in the big leagues to stay. And looking back, um, you know, I think, Spending a few extra seasons in AAA uh, was was what I needed. Um, not necessarily mentally or anything like that. I, I think just um, mechanically, swing wise, um, you know, I was close, but but compared to who I am now as a hitter, um, you know, I'm I'm much more prepared for any opportunity that that I come across at the moment. Um, you know, I don't know if that's just more at bats or or uh, you know a better approach at the plate or or you know just a few extra years of hard work, but you know, whatever it is, uh, it was it was definitely something that, that has helped me. For sure. So a guy in your division, uh, regardless, as maybe the best pitcher in baseball, Clayton Kershaw, a guy you see a lot, obviously, left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. Um, <clears throat> you hit a 489-foot Mammo bomb off of him last year. Uh, how I mean, just how cool was that for you? I wanted to bring it up because I had a buddy of mine just say, you've got, you got to ask Christian about this. But how cool was that to – you know, hit that type of home run off a guy that, again, he's regarded as, you know, if not the best pitcher in baseball, without a doubt, the best left-handed pitcher in baseball. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, and especially a pinch hit. As a pinch hitter that day, to go up to the plate, to be to have your number called on, walk, you're hitting for the pitcher here. And, you know, you go up to the plate and, and try to put together a good at-bat to help the team. But you know, to, to, to go deep, to, to be sent up to the plate for one at-bat that day. You know, that's that's your way to help the team is, is one at-bat. And to hit a home run as a pinch hitter is one of the greatest feelings ever. And then on top of that, <clears throat> to put together a good at-bat, like like against against a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who who is, you know, like you said, it's one of the one of the best pitchers in the league, you know, obviously the division and all that. Um, and then kind of an interdivision rival, um, you know, against the Dodgers was also really exciting. So, so for me, top to bottom, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, I try in the moment, I try not to let the last name on the guy's Jersey uh, determine too much about the at-bat in terms of, you know, being intimidated or or anything like that. So, so for me, it was, it was just simplifying. Um, You know, I I know what pitches he has. I I know how he's going to try to beat, beat a right-handed hitter. And it was just a matter of being prepared for, for what he had. And, uh, fortunately, that 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 worked out for me. No doubt. So obviously, you hit a bomb off of him, but I've got to ask, you know, where would he rank as far as toughest guys you face? Because again, you're at the major league level, and the thing that I'll tell you this, Christian, the thing that scares me is that 
it's not that guys throw 100. It's that there's guys that can hit 100 because, I mean, you think of – you barely can even see 100 miles an hour to at least the untrained eye for people that, you know, don't see a 100-mile-an-hour fastball every single day. I mean, would you say he was the toughest guy you faced? And if not, who is the toughest guy you faced, uh, you know, not just the MLB level but throughout your career? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say – so he's, he's, he's tough, but in a, in a completely different way to where – He'll throw, you know, all his pitches look so different. He'll throw any pitch in any count. He's got the big Ephus curveball. He's got cutters that he'll pound into righties. Uh, he'll he'll backdoor it to righties as well. So so facing a guy like Kershaw, you just for me it was simplifying because he has so many pitches that he could throw you, and he's comfortable throwing any pitch in any situation to any location. Uh, so so it's a matter of of being in a position to handle any pitch you know luckily that worked out and I got they got the barrel to the ball and, and hit a home run but that necessarily wasn't the plan it was it was you know wh- where can I be with my approach to hit the cutter if he tries to backdoor it or to hit a fastball or to hit a change up or 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 the pop-up curveball or something like that um, so to be honest it, it's hard to rank pitchers in terms of um, most most difficult uh, but obviously the guys throwing 100 and 101, um, you know, we got some guys in our division this year, you know, Hicks from the Cardinals. And uh, there, there's a few guys that are just sitting over 100 consistently. And I have to imagine that, that those guys are pretty uncomfortable to face. But, but uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to rank, um, you know, specifically in, in terms of difficulty just because everybody, everybody's game plan is so different. No doubt. I saw something on Twitter. I think it was a guy with the the Rays. I'm not sure. I didn't catch his name, but it was a video of him throwing like a 99-mile-an-hour fastball and it had like three, four inches of movement on it. People were saying, this just isn't fair. I'll ask you because I think it's an interesting topic as far as the baseball, the game of baseball is concerned. You know, there's been – I'm sure you've seen a lot of different ideas thrown out about how to change the game, which a lot of them I think are just completely bogus as far as moving the mound, which I think would be like the worst thing that ever happened. Obviously, I think lowering the mound I think would help, but, you know, people are saying there's kind of an unfair – or pitching has overtaken hitting, if that makes sense. What's kind of your take on the state of the game of baseball right now? Do you think anything needs to be changed at all to help hitters, or what's your opinion on it? Um. I don't think much needs to be changed, to be honest. I, I think, I think the game of baseball is amazing. I think the rules—it's it, a long game, it's a slow game, but that's not news to anybody. Baseball fans know that. You know, if you're going to watch a baseball game, you got to block out three hours. That's just how it is. I think all the all the new rules and trying to speed things up and making guys face three batters and all that—I I think, um, I think maybe maybe the pitchers have the upper hand right now a little bit. But I, I don't necessarily think that's because hitting is too hard. I think it's probably a combination of all the new sabermetrics and the stats. And now, shit, the defensive shifts are at an all-time high. Very rarely do you play anybody in the lineup straight up. Somebody on the field has shifted somewhere based on a high percentage of balls, you know, where, where a guy hits. So, so it's not only are guys throwing 100 or, or – figuring out how how to throw spin rate and and what's more effective and deceptive as a pitcher but also the the defenders behind them are are in more likely spots for you to hit the ball so I mean I think it's a combination I think hitters will catch up too I think seeing a hundred now is much more common than it was seven or eight years ago and I think with 
seeing it more often, it's essentially we're going to, we're going to catch up to it. And, and I don't think, um, you know, if a guy's throwing 97 to 99, yeah, it's hard, but you don't feel completely overmatched. It's, you're still coming up with the game plan to help you handle him the way you would facing a crafty lefty who's throwing 89, 90. So, so for me, I, I think, I think less is more with the game. I, I think, I think if you let guys just play and figure it out, it'll, it'll even itself out over time. And, um, you know, that's, that's just, I feel like I'm just a baseball fan. So I don't want to see anything happen with the game. No doubt. Same here. So moving into this season, obviously you're, you're with the Arizona Diamondbacks where early on, obviously in the 2019 season, but through six games, you're off to a good start hitting 368, seven for 19 on the year. Um, three homers, six ribbies even have a stolen base to your credit, which I thought was, uh, was, was kind of funny, kind of ironic. But <laughs> overall, what's clicking for you right now for Christian Walker? Um, you know, I'm just extremely comfortable with who I am um, in the clubhouse, on the field. I feel like I've put a lot of work. I've put a lot of hours into this, and um, I know who I am. Uh, uh, don't, don't confuse that for being content or being, um, you know, being, being uh, complacent or anything like that. It's just – I know who I am as a player. I know what I have to offer. I know what I bring to the table. I know how I can help the team. And I feel like every day it's just, it's just laser focus on how can I polish all those things to, to, to collectively beat the opposing team. And it, it's honestly, it's not much more than that. It's just, it's just the back end of a, of a lot of hard work and um, things are going right and going well right now. But if there's one thing I know about baseball, um, you know, it's, it's a very humbling game. So, um, you know, I'm just going to keep working hard and, and hopefully um, hopefully be, be in scenarios to keep helping the team. Oh, yeah. And they say in baseball, it's similar to golf, actually, but in baseball as well, you know, there are two types of people, those who are humbled and those who are about to become humbled. So, no doubt, uh, you, you definitely uh, are speaking the truth there as far as the difficulty of the game. Uh, in regards to you, do you have any – because we obviously know when you're playing 162-plus games per year, when you – you know, are going through the baseball grind, obviously you find sort of nooks and crannies and different things, superstitions, if you will, kind of routines you get into. Is there anything specific for you that maybe people don't know or realize or maybe they don't see when they're watching games that you do specifically maybe when you are in preparation for your game, when you get up to the plate, anything in particular, any kind of weird superstitions you have? Um, I would say not, not too many superstitions. Um, but I would say uh, most guys like they get comfortable with a bat or something like that. I would say I switch up my gear a lot. I, I love hitting with a brand new baseball bat. I love hitting with brand new batting gloves. Um, I'd say a lot of the guys I spend time around seem they like when a, a gap, bat gets broken in and they get all their pine tar marks on it. And as, uh, as they use it, it gets more comfortable for me. I, I enjoy, uh, hitting with like a brand new bat. So I would say in terms of a superstition, if, you know, all my bats are the same model and the same length and the same weight, but I'll bring a few different colors and, and new ones and old ones out to the field with me. So for me, it's just uh, switching up little things like that within the game. It's not necessarily going to change the outcome, but if I can just change where I'm at mentally and, and, and look good, look down at the bat and, and feel good about what's in my hand and, and uh, how I feel at the plate, you know, sometimes that's just a little bit of confidence that gives you the edge. For sure. So I definitely want to ask you, you know, being with the Diamondbacks, just kind of simply put, you know, how do you feel about the team this year? Obviously, you guys are with the Dodgers, Padres, Rockies, Giants. I know the Dodgers are probably favored in the division, but 
you know, early on in the season, obviously, but how are you feeling about, uh, about the Arizona Diamondbacks team this season? I really like this team. Um, unfortunately, we've had, we've had a couple injuries early. Um, that's definitely not ideal. But as a whole, I think, I think we're going to respond well to them. We have been responding well. Uh, like you said, the Dodgers are a really good team. Um, opening up there in L.A., that's, that's a tough opening series. But, but the guys grinded. We battled. Um, you know, we're going to play them a few more times. And, um, you know, I, I really like this group of guys. This, this, the core group is, is still pretty much the same from the past few years. And, uh, there's great leadership. There's, there's a really good vibe in the clubhouse, keeping it loose, having some fun. Um, you know, for, for me, that's, that's been, that's been crucial in, in the, you know, in initial early success is, is showing up to the park and having fun. And, you know, it's still a game. You, you can't, yeah, it's serious and, and there's jobs on the line and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's your livelihood and it's job, your job and all that. But at the same time, it's, it's still a game. And I truly believe that, that everybody performs better with, with that mentality. For sure. So before we let you go, Christian, I want to ask you kind of one final question. Um, Maybe something that you can share on the airwaves, your favorite memory from South Carolina, whether, or maybe the funniest memory even as well, whether it be interactions with Ray Tanner, your teammates, you know, something on those national championship runs. What, What would you say is kind of maybe the funniest story or overall just like best memory from South Carolina that you can share? Um, well, one story, uh, we always tell it involves Evan Marzilli and, and Ray Tanner. Uh, I guess this was freshman year, uh, maybe about halfway through the season. Um, Mars was making a push uh, to be a starter. He was swinging it well. He, he hadn't gotten many opportunities early on. A um, couple base running, pinch run, uh, defensive replacements late in the game. Uh, I think he had, gotten, he had gotten doubled off on a line drive, maybe at first base. Um, and then maybe the next day, I, I don't know. There was, there was like, it was like two days where he had, he had, it was like a pickoff and then a freak play, a line drive. He had gotten doubled off. Um, and, and Mars takes his base running pretty seriously. So he was, he was, uh, frustrated with himself at it. And, you know, sometimes that's how the game goes. So we show up the next day to the park and, uh, Mars is in the starting lineup and not necessarily to a surprise, but, but Tanner had something, you know, he, 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 he wanted freshmen to really prove that, that they were ready to play. So Mars is in the starting lineup and um, we go out for batting practice and he, he goes over and puts his arm around Mars and said, Evan, you're in there today. Said, but if you get picked off or doubled off, he said, he pointed out in the left center gate. He said, just head out that gate, head up 95 and we'll send your stuff. And that was uh that, that that's a story that that's often brought up when we when we talk about Ray Tanner and and um you know he's always he's always cracking one-liners and things like that so that was that's that's one pretty funny story for us that's awesome that, that that's amazing well Christian appreciate you taking the time uh, obviously it was a pleasure to speak with you definitely want to follow up with you and bring you back on again when you're in the all-star game fully believe that's uh that, that's possible for you but uh yeah man really appreciate the time let's do it again sometime soon for sure Yeah, will do. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for Christian Walker, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.
of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.